Today's reading comes from 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 8 to 22. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you will call so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing right than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. This is God's word. My name is Jeanette Howard, and I live in Eastbourne in East Sussex. Well, before I became a Christian, I grew up sensing I was different. Um, I didn't seem to think like the rest of the girls in school. Um, but I certainly knew I wasn't a boy. It wasn't as though I was trapped in the wrong body. I just didn't belong. And that sense of difference grew, I guess, in puberty to a sense of attraction. And so that happened through school. When I got to university, of course, there was the freedom of a university not living at home. And I remember walking into a gay nightclub for the first time ever and thinking, this is where I belong. I moved to Australia to teach and taught in a girls' boarding school, became friends with a Christian girl, and at this stage, I had no interest in the things of God at all. And then what happened was, as I got to know her better, got into a relationship with her, at the same time, my interest in the things of God grew. And so I wanted to spend the rest of my life with this woman. She was the woman I wanted to commit to. She was everything I ever wanted. At the same time, I was reading my Bible and what I now know, the Holy Spirit, I was being prompted and drawn to the things of God. So I had this parallel life going on, one where I'd met the woman of my dreams and then meeting God for the first time as a person. I delayed becoming a Christian because of my dilemma 
with a relationship on one hand and knowing that if God was who he said he was, then I had to go by his guidelines, his rules, his everything. So my conversion was delayed because I had to decide, do I give up everything I know, know, and a future relationship? Do I give that up in order to follow God? Uh, in the end, I decided God was who he said he was, and therefore I stopped the relationship. Part of being open about my sexuality, and certainly my past life, meant that I had to tell my congregation. So with the pastor's permission, I stood up the Sunday morning. I asked forgiveness for actually not presenting the true Jeanette. I explained to them that I had difficulties with my sexuality. I had um, uh, homosexual attractions and temptations. And as one, the congregation stood to their feet, applauded me, and said, whatever help you need, we will support you. I find that the churches that have supported me well are those that say, this is who you are, be part of us, that sense of belonging. Because that was very difficult for me growing up, feeling as though I don't belong. So a church body that says, come and belong. So for instance, I'm a pretend grandma to a couple of children in church because they're real grandparents and miles away. So I have a lot of time with the children. I'm able to hang out with the teenagers. So I'm just kind of this getting on in years, Christian spinster of the parish that, that gets welcomed in uh, all over. I think it's very easy to get into the mindset of them and us from feeling so different perhaps growing up. It's very easy to say, oh, well, people in the church don't understand me. I'm a special case. I'm same-sex attracted, so I'm never going to find a husband or whatever. And I think as same-sex attracted Christians, we can choose to stand apart and feel different from. And I think it's beholden to us to lose that sense of differentness and to walk into the complete, the whole, the body of Christ. I think the more I let go of being different from, the more I was able to embrace what biblical friendship is, my identity as a Christian woman. So it was letting go that sense of being different from, because I think that is where Satan can get in and keep putting that thin wedge. So there's a them and there's an us, and in Christ, neither Greek nor Jew, <laughs> gay nor straight. Um, and it's that bonding together that is the belonging. Let me add my uh, welcome. If we've not met, my name's uh, Matt Fuller. And uh, let me commend uh, for that last time then. Th th that's a great website, Living Out, for uh, all of us to uh, to make use of. Um, just full of uh, profoundly helpful stories, uh, as well as podcasts, uh, more academic papers. It's it's profoundly helpful. But if you're joining us tonight, it's quirky one to join. We're in the, the fourth of four. We've been thinking topically 
on uh, issues of uh, identity and gender and sexuality. So if you want to know all the details of what's going on in 1 Peter 3, you won't get it tonight. Uh, you can go to the website and find an old sermon on 1 Peter 3 and what does it mean he went here and then he went there and what, what was Jesus and what does... Yeah, none of that. Um, because we're thinking topically, just want to take a couple of the major applications of the passage and uh, apply them to, uh, to the culture around us at the moment. That's what's going on. Let me pray as we look at this together. Great God and Father, we thank you that you give us everything that we need in the scriptures, everything we need for our life and our salvation, everything we need to make sense of the world around us, to make sense of the longings within us. Father, you're a good God. Help us. Help us understand rightly what's going on in this passage, how it applies to what's going on in the world today. Father, so that we are those who stand firm in our convictions in the Lord Jesus Christ. We love him. Therefore, we don't fear the world or, or lash out in frustration. Father, help us to revere Christ above all we pray. In Jesus' name. So an email comes through in the week um, from your boss, uh, head of team or whatever it may be. And it says, OK, on Wednesday, uh, when everyone's down tools at four o'clock and we're all going to meet here, this pub or this veranda of the office and uh, for team drinks, because I want us all to celebrate Trans Visibility Day or I want us all maybe if, to come together and celebrate gay pride month or whatever it may be what do you do if you're a christian i would not want to bind anyone's conscience i think there'd be a variety of opinions some would um, i imagine some would think great it's a social everyone will be there no one really cares what it's about and the boss is paying fantastic i'm in uh and uh, that'll be the thought process others might think oh actually as a christian I feel very nervous about sort of publicly affirming something that I'm, you know, I don't know. I imagine there'd be a variety of views. And as I say, I'm not sure in every situation there's one right answer. But what would you do? I think you need to, if you're a Christian, have some thought through response rather than sort of freezing the headlights. What would you do? We've spent the month of June thinking topically then about issues of uh, sexuality and gender, as I say, the four weeks. Uh, uh, first was, what is your authority? Uh, is it I bring my emotions and allow them to shape the scriptures or the other way around the scriptures, I allow them to interpret what I'm feeling? Uh, what is your authority? Secondly, what's the purpose of marriage? Uh, last week, what defines me? Uh, this week, what do we do if you're a Christian? How do you live? in a world which is increasingly distrustful, hostile, bewildered by what the Bible teaches on these issues. And let me suggest in one sense that the headline would be, don't, don't hide in fear or don't act in anger. Don't do either of those. Here's one man who's uh, been on the receiving end in the past year. And if we've got uh, the Reverend Dr. Johanna Paiello, Paiello, I'm not sure about his surname. Um, he's a bishop in, uh, in the church in uh, Finland. 
And uh, the reason he's been in the news, he's been charged by uh, the Finnish government with incitement to hatred against LGBT plus people uh, because of a booklet that he published in 2004, but laws which came out in 2019, he's now being, um, uh, he's, well, he's got, he hasn't been to court yet, but he's been summoned to court uh, on that. Now, it's a complicated issue in one sense, not least because, as far as I read it, the majority of the Finnish population say, whoa, 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 whoa what's this? Uh, there's freedom of speech, isn't there? And uh, hold on a minute, he wrote it in 2004, and he's being prosecuted under a law, the history of his, the statute books in 2019. Whoa, whoa, retrospective, illegal actions. <laughs> uh, and so this, I think the secular world of, of Finland is going, oh, this is very cautious. So I think he'll probably be okay, but no one wants to live under that. Yeah, we're going to charge you. And uh, if you're found guilty, it's a custodial sentence. Oof. I read one interview with him. He was asked, what would uh, his advice be to Christians in the UK? He said this. Do not be afraid. Christ is risen and he is the Lord. He's in charge. We are called to be his witnesses in love and truth. Be prepared to pay a cost for discipleship. Teach your children and use your freedom of speech and religion. Watch out for self-censorship and adapting yourself to lies in small things. Watch out for self-censorship, regardless of what the law says or what. It's going to go quiet. Don't fear. Christ is Lord. He will vindicate you. He's in charge. How do you respond in a culture which is increasingly hostile to biblical belief? Don't hide in fear. Don't act in anger. Or we'll work through the text under these three headings. Love your fellow believers. Bless those who insult you and suffer like Jesus for doing good. Okay, Love your fellow believers. Bless those who insult you, suffer like Jesus for doing good. That's how we live. Firstly, let's work through them. Love your fellow believers. Verse 8. Peter writes, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Finally, well, in the flow of the book, since chapter 2 and verse 11, uh, Peter has been addressing Christians and saying, here's how you live in a world which is hostile to the Christian faith. You live as aliens and strangers. This world is not your home. He's worked through various relationships. He's how you relate to the government and, and how you relate to your bosses and how you relate in marriage. And, and now, verse 8, he says, now I'm just talking about the church, just for one verse. Church family, how do you relate to the church family? Well, five things. First, be like-minded. Well, how do you, what? How do we all, I mean... Even in a room such as this, there's quite a variety of opinions. Be what? Or do we have to think like Matt Fuller, dress like him? How ghastly! Um, uh, but hold on, how do I? How am I like-minded with her? I mean, she votes Tory and I vote Green, and we both think the other is nuts. Um, how are we like-minded? No, no. In the sense of Christ first, serve others. That's certainly how Paul uses it in Philippians two. That to be like-minded is to give yourself to serving others and the gospel. You just have that as a priority. Jesus first, everything else comes second. Have that sort of like-mindedness. But these four other concerns, uh, be compassionate, 
and humble, be sympathetic, love one another. It's all a concern for other people at church. Compassion, sympathy, humility. Take time to work out what it's like being a Christian for her, for him. What have they endured for being a Christian? What did they give up when they became a Christian for living the Christian life? In, the, in this context of uh, 1 Peter, it's all sorts of persecutions, but uh, in the context of our topical series, for people here at church, what, what does it cost them to put aside sexual immorality? What relationships may have ended? You know, in a church such as ours, where there will be people with all sorts of costs to living the Christian life, they're single, they don't want to be, same-sex attracted but living celibately, transgender, uncertain what to do, uh, people at church who've been brought up by a same-sex couple all their lives. What's it like for them? And before we stridently assert our opinions of what's right and wrong, have a little sympathy, a little compassion for someone whose setting is very different to yours. Before you lambast everyone who's married is like this, be aware marriage is really hard for some people. Before you jokingly say, oh, I wish I, you know, the single life is, is the life we really want. Well, be aware that some people will struggle with that. Have compassion for one another. Be aware that for some to live the Christian life, the cost is very real. Jeanette would say, oh, it was painful at first. Oh, of course, she's grateful overall to be a Christian, but there's a cost. I, mean, I think her story, the reason I wanted to share that one tonight, I think it is lovely in many ways. Uh, if you watch it again, you see from about halfway on, the word that comes up over and over again is, I belong. Lovely to be a place where I can belong. A sense of belonging, belong, belong. And I take it, if we think about it, if you're a Christian here tonight, we want that, don't we? We want everyone who comes in who says, I want to follow Jesus. Um, I'm not really like everyone else. But actually, I come here, I belong. Because I've come to Jesus and I've come to his people and they're my family. So in the context of insults, threats, persecution, that's got to be intensely practical as well. So I take it for uh, uh, Johanna, the, um, the, the, the bishop in Finland. I, I think he'll be okay. But if he's given a custodial sentence, I take it in very real terms. This verse means the church family rallies round and looks after his family. If he's given a fine, I think the church says, yeah, we pay it together. I think it means if someone here is uh, the victim of a, a sort of, incredibly overzealous HR department uh, and, and, and suffers acutely for being a Christian, we rally round, maybe financially. Take it, that's what it means to have sympathy and compassion in the context of suffering for what you know is right. But love your fellow believers, uh, verse 8. Bless those who insult you, verses 9 to 12. Verse 9, do not repay evil with evil. Or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. 
Oh. I don't realize that. When you're a Christian, you're called to lots of things. Called to eternity. Called into Christ's family. You're called to a lifestyle of holiness. And you're called to return insult with blessing. Of course you are, because what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do is he hangs upon a cross and dies for the people in front of him. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Insults come. His response is blessing, verbally. Blessing of eternal life, if you trust in him. In very practical terms, I think that is often profoundly helpful. When you're on the receiving end of uh, some uh, uh, abuse or whatever it may be, oh, they don't know what they do. People, there's so much confusion. People don't know which way is up at the moment. I don't know how many of us, you know, a show of hands, at some point in the last year have said, you believe what as a Christian? But there's so much confusion. People don't know what to believe. Let me just give you a, just um, uh, a sort of smorgasbord of, of examples. So these are all from the last month, and I am making no comment upon the merit of any of these cases. I am just giving information. Okay, so let me just work your way through. The utter confusion. If you're someone who defines yourself at the moment as progressive, I'm a social justice warrior, uh, and therefore I, 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 I always support the, uh, the, the minority, um, what do you do in these cases? So um, from, from left, Alison Bailey is, uh, is the woman pictured. Uh, lesbian barrister, my boss is bowed to transgender hate mob. So she claims, uh, Alison Bailey is a barrister, she's suing Stonewall as they had pressured her, she claims, her, they had pressured her chambers into investigating her for her gender critical views. Who do you support? A bit awkward. Um, if you're, you know, yourself as progressive. Uh, in the middle, uh, the chaos, the civil war there that's going on. There's a transgender legal battle. Stone, Stonewall backs mermaids against the LGB alliance. So sometimes these things are just raw power plays, I think. It's a pretty small civil war, this one. But Stonewall, obviously the well-established LGBTQ plus uh, uh, lobby group, um, is losing members to the LGB alliance including its founding members, Simon Fanshaw, has said, you're nuts now, Stonewall, uh, you've lost the plot, I'm joining the LGB alliance. Um, and so they're losing members, so therefore revenue. Uh, and so Stonewall is lobbying the Charity Commission to have ch charitable status removed from the LGB alliance. And at that point, you think, that's a pretty niche community that's having a civil war. Who, who, who's right? Who do you support? Uh, or the last one, uh, Tavistock Gender Clinic is converting gay children. Uh, so this is the safeguarding officer from a Tavistock, former safeguarding officer of the Tavistock Clinic, claims that she was vilified for suggesting that the clinic was treating children with puberty suppressing drugs, but actually they were struggling with their sexual orientation and they just needed to encourage them that. It's never a great look when your safeguarding officer says, I was vilified for raising safeguarding concerns. That's not it. But it all, sorry, that is a comment, isn't it? Um, I'm, not, all I'm, trying to, I'm not making any comment on the merit of these cases. Just, wow, what confusion. 
even if you say, I am all about supporting the smallest minority there is, who do you support in these cases? It's very hard. People don't know which way is up. So when you're insulted, useful to remember like Jesus to say, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Easier said than done, sometimes. But we are to repay insult with blessing if you're a Christian, confident of God's rewards. You do this first nine, so you may inherit a blessing for... Then it gets a long quote from Psalm 34. Uh, it's from David. He's been living amongst the pagan Philistines who wanted to kill him. So here's a man who's pretty much surrounded by enemies. And uh, David reflects on this and says, verse 10, whoever would live life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil. Here's what believers are to do. Keep their tongue from evil. Keep their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. That's what believers are to do. Why, verse 12, God sees. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attended to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So when you get a hard time on these issues of being a Christian, you don't act with anger. You bless those who insult you. And you trust yourselves to the living God and know that he sees. It's what he wants. He rewards. Vindication comes later. Love your fellow believers. Bless those who insult you. Uh, thirdly, uh, suffer like Jesus for doing good. So don't attack with anger. That's one response. But the other wrong response as a Christian will be to hide in fear. Neither of those are right. And it's the latter he looks at here. So verse 13, Peter asks, well, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? And most of the time that's true. But, not always, you might get harmed for doing the right thing. Verse 14, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. And here's what you need to know. You might break it into an attitude and an action. Here's the attitude. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Don't fear. But revere is the attitude. Don't fear the threats of the world or do not fear what they fear, but revere Christ. I think the footnote is a more helpful translation, actually. Do not fear what they fear. Uh, and at the moment, there's quite a lot of fear. And that drives quite a lot of public discourse. So did you see the fuss about uh, GB News, which launched three weeks ago? I lose track. Uh, the fuss about GB, um, the, uh, the Andrew Neil fronted uh, news channel, and a great deal of fuss before it even launched. Uh, the lobby group Stop Funding Hate said uh, to lots of advertisers, you can't advertise on GB News because it's all hateful. And you think, well, it's prescient, given that they haven't even gone on air yet. Um, I mean, it seems a bit unfair. Uh, but anyway, they launch, and then all of a sudden, loads of companies pull their advertising because they don't like the negative publicity they're getting from Stop Funding the Hate, and they think we're going to lose money. So you, you see this, Ikea, uh, MoneySupermarket.com, Nivea, all, all sorts of companies, Vodafone, said, oh, we're going to pull all our advertising. Andrew Neil, is quite a punchy four minutes to camera uh, on his show, said, okay, you're going to pull your funding, are you? Well, that's a political decision. Let me tell you how that rolls. 
And uh, at the moment, you know, GB News is getting more viewers than BBC and Sky combined for their news channels. It may well be that our viewers think we don't like these companies boycotting our favorite news channel. And uh, that may happen. The next day, of course, all the companies that are saying they're going to boycott say, so sorry, so sorry, so sorry, so sorry, so sorry. Um, did we say we weren't going to use them? Um, what we meant was um, all our advertising is up for discussion at the moment. Uh, and it's just fear. Oh, we fear we're going to lose revenue, or we best not advertise on that channel. Oh, we fear we might lose more revenue if we, oh, we best advertise on the channel again. And it's just worth observing. People claim to have a moral high ground here. Oh, and, and, you know, we don't advertise on that channel. Uh, we don't associate with these people. It's not a moral high ground. Companies driven by money. Peter says, don't fear what the world fears. Money. Or a public discrediting. Or opprobrium and denouncement. Don't fear what the world fears. Fear Christ. Revere him. That's what we're to do. Don't fear lost income. Don't fear public contempt. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Because, of course, his opinion matters. And it lasts. His opinion matters more, more than anyone else's. Now, we're used to that conceptually. Look, um, I care about what the people in this room think of me. But I don't care equally what you all think. Uh, and that's, that's just normal. You're the same. I'm, not, I'm no different to anyone else in this room. It was a, so those I've known for a decade more and have great respect for, I care more what they think of me than someone, you know, with, don't take offence, please. But if I've never met you, I care less because you might be nice. You might be a mass murderer. I don't know. Um, but obviously I care much more what someone who's known me 10 years and I have great respect for thinks. It's just natural. And honestly, I care more what my wife thinks than any of you. And my, you know, the whole of my family. Because, you know, some people, their opinion just matters more than others. I mean, like, we get that. It's normal. What your boss thinks of you makes more of a difference to you than what someone who sits opposite you on the tube thinks. And you've never met them and will never see them again. Obvious. Jesus' opinion. No one loves you as much as he does. No one. You might not feel that to be true. It is true. Jesus, his, his opinion, his judgment is perfect. No one else is, is. And of course, his opinion verdict, it lasts. It lasts forever. Whereas most of the time, the opinions of this world, they change. They don't last very long. I think in, the, in our 2021, it becomes more obvious than ever that the today's villains, can, excuse me, today's heroes can very quickly become tomorrow's villains. I mean, really very quickly. So from centuries ago, of course, the, the, the heroes, you can get a statue, become the villains. Uh, they need to not sing. Oh, you don't need centuries. You can be a celebrity, you can be a, 
uh, or, or of a massive influence. You can be a Kevin Spacey, a Harvey Weinstein, a Noel Clark, whoever it is, and receive all sorts of awards and applause. But the next year, you're denounced and hated and go to prison. Um, or a smaller, a less significant scale, you could be adored by millions around the globe like J.K. Rowling and then all of a sudden be denounced uh, as abhorrent um, for your views. Uh, actually, today's heroes can very quickly become tomorrow's villains. So chasing the approval of the world, it's a mucks game. Because you could be Mr. Popular and Virtuous today but when the world's opinions change about what is good in 10 years' time, you're, dis you're disgraceful. I mean, it's a mug's game. Chase the approval of the world. But Jesus' opinion of you lasts. It lasts. So there's the attitude. Don't fear what the world fears, but... Fear Christ, revere him. And therefore the consequent action uh, comes in the second half of verse 15. Be ready, be prepared. Verse 15, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. So always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. You know, there should be occasions where people say, if you're a Christian, you, you think differently and you live a bit differently in this whole arena of sex and you're just a bit different. Why? What Peter would say, because you have a hope in the next world. You have a hope in resurrection. You have a hope in being vindicated in the future, even if you're treated unfairly now. That, that is why. So for all of us, in the, issue, in the context of issues of identity, sexuality, gender, what are you going to say when someone says, and what is your view? What are you going to say? Well, you will speak, I hope, with gentleness and respect. But these two things need to be held together. When someone says, what, what do you think? There needs to be both uh, gentleness, respect for the person you're talking to, a concern, a love, a humility, and a reverence for Christ that means you say what's true with gentleness and respect and appropriately. Even legislation recognize that. You're allowed to manifest your belief respectfully. Now, how that gets interpreted goes a bit lucky, of course. But for the Christian, you've got to have both. You've got to have, I revere Christ, therefore I will, I'll say what's true, and I'll do it with gentleness. You don't want one without the other. You just have this, you might be an obnoxious Christian. Okay, you just might be. I declare the truth. Yeah, but yeah, shut up. Um, and that you might be a bit obnoxious, or I think you're really lovely. So what's true? You are. Um, you know, you need, you need both, says Peter, a reverence for Christ that means you say what's true and gentleness, respect, humility. You don't attack with anger, but nor do you hide with fear. 
And so we won't go into the details in particular, but verse 17, for it's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Look at Jesus, verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Yes, no one suffered injustice like Jesus. And look at what good it did. Look at how he blessed millions and billions throughout the whole of history through his willingness to indulge, uh, um, endure hostility. And we're going to all the details. But what he's basically saying, the rest of that chapter is, and vindication comes, verse 22. Jesus has gone into heaven. He's at God's right hand with angels, authorities, powers, and submission to him. Jesus is vindicated. And you do need to know that, even if it's a long wait. When I was a school teacher, I taught uh, in, uh, in Birmingham, then I moved to London and taught in London. Um, the school I taught at in London was a nice school. Uh, therefore, we had a, a, a staff dining room separate from the children, not, not with the riffraff, let them throw their food. Uh, we'll just have uh, half an hour worth of peace. And uh, so the, 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 the staff dining room, and you never got everyone at once because sort of split lunches and everyone's in and out. So, but about a month, I was in the first month I taught at this school. There's probably about 30 or 40 in the staff dining room. Not everyone, half the staffish, something like that. And uh, I was sat at lunch with uh, uh, five others uh, on this table and didn't really know anyone very well at this stage. And we're talking to Leslie, who's opposite. And I can't remember the context, but it came up that I was a Christian. And uh, Leslie, he, he was, excuse me, he was 20 years older than me and uh, stood up. I, know, I was whatever, 23, 4, 5, I can't remember. Um, and uh, he stood up and went at me. Full throttle, full volume, stood up in front of you know, the rest of the staff. I hate Christians like you. I despise your views. I despise your bigotry. I despise everything about you. Now, this went on for about a minute. And um, I cleared up my plate and, and left. Now, that's not great a month into a new job, you know. Um, and when you haven't met most of the people, and who's that young whippersnapper? Oh, that's the obnoxious Christian who got Leslie, who we upset, who we really like, but has been at the school for 10 years. He really upset Leslie, therefore he's got to be a despicable person. Um, it's not great. It wasn't a lot of fun. Now, to his credit, uh, a few weeks later, Leslie came and apologised to me and said, look, let's, you know, we can talk. I have met in the past some obnoxious Christians, and I endured suffering wildly because of the obnoxious behaviour of others. To his credit, he went and told particularly his department, look, Matt Fuller, he's all right, you know. Nothing he said, I was out of line in shouting him in front of everyone else. So he sort of publicly apologised. Now, I have to say, age 23, 4, whatever I was, um, that, even a, a month later, that vindication, oh, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. It doesn't always come. But it will come in the next world. Vindication comes with Jesus. It's guaranteed to come. Love your fellow believers. Bless those who insult you. Suffer like Jesus for doing good. Let me very briefly uh, push this into arenas, then we're done. Uh, the first, um, briefly, in the Church of England, uh, I've mentioned this uh, before, at the moment, the Living in Love and Faith project in the Church of England is, um, it, it's polite, but it, it, it is essentially an attempt to redefine marriage. So within the C of E, even though nationally, um, 
marriage of same sex is is legal. It's not legal in the CV, and there's an attempt to change that. Now, without going into the details of it, we're in London diocese, for what it's worth. It's well-run diocese. It's very easy to have respect for the bishop and the archdeacons, and we have a very good and healthy working relationship. That is good. Underneath that, I've been called a theological Nazi, uh, a despicable bigot, uh, an abhorrent and hateful man. It is just sort of, you know, in conversations with fellow clergy. Okay, the hostility is pretty high. In the Church of England, I take it, we need to be prepared to graciously keep standing on the truth and trust Jesus' verdict in the future. I revere Christ. Here is what is true. I want to say it to you graciously. But who knows what comes? Do I lose my job? I don't, do I get kicked out of the CV? I trust Jesus of indication. I don't know what it looks like in the future. I have no idea. But as we thought last week, Salvation is at stake. You cannot carry on in any sexual immorality, adultery, same-sex marriage, whatever it may be. You can't and expect to go to heaven. You just can't. So we can't agree to disagree. But more commonly for, for most of us, I guess, what do we do when society is in chaos about issues of gender, sexuality, identity, what do we do? Look, don't hide with fear, don't attack with anger. One of the best examples I ever heard here at church was uh, uh, Simon Ward, and a few will remember interviewing Simon, um, lovely man, uh, and we had him at a dinner a number of years ago and interviewed him at the front. He, at the time, he's no longer, but at the time he was uh, head of the British Fashion Council. He ran British Fashion Week, and so there he was in his late 50s in his skin-tight leather trousers and his shirt with, you know, collars out here. Um, but, um, you know, hoot of a man and a great character. Uh, I remember asking him, you know, so uh, in your industry, um, you're known as a Christian. I mean, you're pretty out there because, you you know, you go around singing, I love Jesus. I mean, he's pretty out there as a Christian. Uh, but you're in an industry where so many of you relate to in that sort of creative world are also sort of similarly out there uh, in, in their sort of gay relationships. And what, are they, what do they make of you as sort of their shop steward, as it were? You're their representative. Uh, he says, yeah, it does come up. Of course it comes up. And I always say the same three things. One, if someone says, Simon, what do you think of me? One, I'm a Christian. Therefore, I know that God made every single one of you, every single person on this planet, and he loves you more than you can possibly know. He loves you so much more than you realize. Two, I'm a Christian and I believe that Jesus Christ is God. I believe he walked this planet. I believe that he came to save us, but also he taught us. And he said that marriage was between, for between a man and a woman. Three, you may not like that. And if you think, therefore, I can't represent you in this industry, then maybe I'll lose my job. And I think that'll be really unfair. But I love you. And if I'm causing you so much hurt, you want to push me out of, the, of this job, okay. Okay. And I'm being, I guess at that point, just a little bit like Jesus, who was rejected and endured it. And in doing so, paid for all that we've done wrong and can save you for the whole of eternity if you trust in him. So if I have to be a bit like Jesus, that's okay. Now, not all of us are as out there, just 
in our temperament as Simon. I think he's, he's very gifted in many, many ways. Not always to say, well, I can't lose my job. I can't afford to lose my job. Okay. But the question is, what will you say? Graciously maintaining what is true. What will you say? How will you do it? That's the question. Whatever you make of him, there is a man who was prepared to give an answer. He'd thought about it hard, prayed about it lots. And he was able to give an answer with gentleness, without any bitterness, without rancor, without anger, without fear, because he believed that this is true, that Christ suffered for doing good and was vindicated. And Christians follow him wisely. Ah, oh, here the bishop. Yeah, use your legal redress. Be wise. Don't fear. Don't act with anger. But speak of Christ. Speak of what's true. With gentleness, humility, respect. But know that he's Lord. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, in, in one sense it's easy to say those words, to hold to what is true, to speak of what is true with gentleness and respect. Father, to do it in practice is harder. It takes wisdom. We're in different settings, different relationships with our bosses and, 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 uh, and our colleagues, and I don't think the answer is going gonna to look exactly the same for every single person here, but would we think through what that means? And Father, would we be prepared to be like Jesus, to suffer for doing what is good, because even if we suffer, we know what every single person in our city and our world needs is to hear of Jesus, who loves them, who suffered for them. So, Father, will we be like him, lost in his name. Amen.